0: Would you stand with me for the reading of the Word? James chapter 2. I, have dry, I think I'm dried off now since the baptism. My brothers, show no partiality, or some translations will say favoritism, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord of glory, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you then not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom which he has promised for those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones, the ones who drag you in the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme at the honorable name for which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point has become accountable for all of it. That's encouraging. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you, didn't, if, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would open up our hearts, our lives, that whatever you would sow into us, that we would see fruit born. Because we don't want to walk away from this place the same way we walked in. Holy Spirit, help us, Lord. Call us to repentance. Call us to brokenness. Call us to humility. Call us to joy. Call us to life everlasting, Lord. We celebrate what you're doing and what you're about to do. We speak all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Before you are seated, would you give someone a high-five and tell them that all I want for Christmas is you, is a terrible Christmas song. So turn around, greet somebody, give somebody a high-five. Pastor, there's no such thing as a bad Christmas song. You've never heard Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey song. Y'all heard that one? My brother-in-law plays it just to toy with my brain while we're playing some sort of game. We're playing Scrabble and he's trying to mess with the Matrix. So, yeah, that's my my brother-in-law does. Have you ever taken the scenic road home? You know what that means? Like, I mean, my wife and I like we moved here in 2009. We we got into our home in 2010, put down roots, and we love Texas Township, that phenomenal metropolis over up yonder, and love where we live. But after 13 years, almost 14 years of driving to the same spot, how many of you know? Sometimes it's good just to take a different road in. You just, you get sick of seeing the same things. And so every once in a while, like, I well, if I'm on my way home from rock climbing or a, a pastoral visit or something, I will go a different way through a neighborhood. It's just me and just, it breaks up the monotony of what we're used to. And sometimes even coming home from, like yesterday, or two days ago, came home from Christmas shopping. And we decided, instead of taking 12th Street all the way home, I decided, in that brand new roundabout that was so needed, I took 11th, and drove down 11th, and as I'm driving down 11th, I'm like, all of the, the corn has been taken down, and all of a sudden I look over, and I saw a house that I don't know how many times I've driven on 11th, but I saw a house that I've never seen. Really far off the road, but with all the corn gone, I'm like, hey, and then my wife goes, Wait, you saw that too. How have we never noticed that house? I mean, it looks like it's built in the 20s. It's gorgeous. Like, those houses, we just want to knock on their door and just say, can we have a, a tour of your home? But that's creepy. And that's how you get put on, you know, on TV. Like, don't let these people near your home. Watch out for these people. And that's how I lose my job. So we just, you just see these places just by taking the scenic tour. I think that really should be your attitude when it comes to reading Scripture. Because quite often when we get to books of the Bible, we get to certain books and we think of certain passages and we only sit in those passages. We only pay attention to those passages. Like when it comes to James, like what our popular passage is taming the tongue. We're going to deal with that in a few weeks. And so, see, we sit in those, pa- uh, those passages, or as, as a Pentecostal, we're a church that believes in divine healing. And so we go toward the end of James, and we see, Call upon the elders of the church, and they will anoint with oil, and they shall pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And we believe that. We celebrate that. But sometimes we got to get to books of the Bible, and we need to just kind of take the scenic route. And start journeying through the neighborhood, so to speak, because many times when you're going through the neighborhood, you notice things that you've never noticed before. You see things that you've never seen before and sometimes experience things that you never experienced before. And I'll tell you this, when I read through James, when I think about James passages, this is not on my list of what I think about when I think about the book of James. In fact, I've been going to church my entire life. I went to church in the womb and outside the womb. I have grown up in church. I have been a pastor for 26 years, been serving Jesus since my freshman year of high school. I'm here to say this, that I cannot remember in my brain a single pastor ever preaching an entire message out of this portion, let alone just talk about the subject of favoritism. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? You're like, well, pastor, week one, persecution. Persecution. Way to go pastor. Week 2 trials and temptations. Is there something happy to talk about on a Sunday morning? But I'm here to say yes and no. Yes, we've got something God's given us, but also something that confronts us to help pull our hearts back together. Because if there's anything you need to understand about what the devil would love to do to a church, is the devil loves to bring a church into disunity. God loves unity, the enemy hates unity. Why? Because he knows the power of together. There's something about the power of together. And so James, when he writes the church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem has scattered to different areas. They've gone to different places. And so he's writing this letter to make its way around to deal with the hearts of individuals because he's recognized they can't meet together, but but we need to still deal with some stuff. And so he starts talking to them about what he kind of describes as troublers of together. There are things that... Stand against our together. Like if we were to go back to verse 19. Beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, think about this. This was printed in the day before social media. Every person should be quick to hear, slow to post, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce righteous, righteous things. Immediately, he kind of throws this in this little bit that says, hey, by the way, you want to break up your togetherness, be a person that's known by their anger. And then he moves on. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. In other words, stop being angry and stop dabbling in sin. Put away wickedness. Why? Because wickedness is going to break up the togetherness. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently, his natural face into a mirror, and he looks at himself, goes away, and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In other words, don't be hypocritical. Don't just listen. Don't just attend church. Hello. But listen and obey. How many of you know there's a difference between hearing and listening? I hear lots of things during a Lions game. I don't listen to a lot of things during a Lions game. But when we're here, when we're opening up the Word, probably, he says, you ought to ruin that together. Simply be a hearer, but live the way that you want. Do what God tells you. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, but, uh, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Woo! You don't know how to control your tongue. Honestly, he's like, your Christianity is worthless. Pastor, i got the freedom to say what I want. You do have the freedom to say what you want. But your freedoms will show the legitimacy of who you ultimately serve, you or Jesus. And that will break up your togetherness. And then he gets into the other thing, fracturing. He's like, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, you know what's breaking up the togetherness? He says, you're ignoring the widows and you are ignoring the orphans. And I'm here to say, we will never be that type of church. We will value the widow, we will value the shut-in, and we will value the orphans. And I celebrate that we are a church that has found a number of families, foster children, and seen them go into adoption. I am glad that our church is known by that. Why? Because that is the power of together. When together comes together, miracles happen, lives come together, families are restored, families are offered, and people's lives are made whole. So he goes in this hit, what like hit ignore this ignore this watch out for this watch out for this and then he sits for 14 verses in favoritism. Favoritism of all things that's something we don't talk about a lot in churches favoritisms. I remember somebody pulling me aside just a number of years back his pastor I know these people are your favorites I'm like who She goes, so so they listed off the people that were my favorites, and I I, kind of laughed. She's like, what's so funny? I said, they left the church a while ago because they weren't my favorites. So who are your favorites now? I'm like, oh, obviously you're my favorites because of this conversation. But the church doesn't talk enough about a subject that we don't think is a high-priority subject. But we have to understand something, that the church needs to know that God wants us to be together, not just in proximity, but in heart. God doesn't just want us in proximity. And listen, I've, I've got this, there's this wave right now of pastors getting rid of live stream. It is wild. I, there's some forums I'm a part of, and I'm watching pastors drop their live streams because they're like, we started this in COVID. We're done with it. We have to gather together. And I think gathering together is important. I'm not going to get rid of the live stream. I think it's important. But I'm here to say that if we've got the capability to meet together, we need to meet together. We need to come together because there is a power in together. And he doesn't just want to meet us, have us meet in proximity, but God wants our hearts to come together to, get, to be unified. That's what he's about. And so James writes 14 verses that all talk about this desire for favoritism to bring division instead of union. If you want a clear, concise verse about favoritism and to know God's heart, you can find it no further in the New Living Translation in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. It simply says this, For God does not show favoritism. I don't think you can come up with a clearer scripture than that. Yeah, but what is he really trying to say? He doesn't do favoritism. How many parents in the house, can I ask your parents, all the parents, can I ask you, how many of you have a favorite kid? Oh, Benny's over here, hand in the air. Now, granted, I don't have favorites, but my favorite is always who's in the room with me, or who just texted me, or who just responded. Like, if it's Ethan or Cam or Claire or Josh, like, whoever's responded are my favorite in that moment. And I, I've, I've loved that through the years. And the reality is I love telling my kids individually that they're my favorite. And how many of you, sometimes you just feel like you're God's favorite? Anybody? Yeah, I got, thank you back here. Hope, you think you're God's favorite. And I... I love the fact that when we really sit into the grace of God and we think about the grace of God, when you really wrap your head around what Jesus has done for you, what he's done to save you and redeem you, what he has forgiven you from, what he has set you free from, the hell that he's rescued you out of, what Jesus has done to enrich your life and to pour into your life, and the fact that this grace will never run out for the entirety of your life, that it pursues you every single day, that you can wake up every day, then there's mercies that are brand new every single morning. How many of you know that when you really think about God. You begin to feel like, I am God's favorite. And but I want you to understand that God wants you to feel that way, not from a pride standpoint, but He wants you to understand that's how He views all of us. We're His favorites. He loves us. But when we hear the idea of favorite, we also understand that favoritism is not just what is fractured lives, it is fractured families. I've watched a fact-fractured churches, i talk pastors through splits and brokenness where favoritism in the body of Christ and in, in actual families have split brothers and sisters apart from one another. And we see how, that how families treat one another. I mean, I grew up in a family for which my grandmother would, would tell all of my, my, my cousins because I was the only Beringer grand uh, grandchild, she's like, David's my favorite because he's the only boy. And he carries on the Beringer name. I have heard that from birth from my grandma Beringer. And when Ethan was born, all of a sudden, the golden child status went over to him. And then he played grandpa's trumpet in a marching band. All of a sudden, it was like the Lion King. The sunlight was just coming down on Ethan. And And we've watched how that transgressed and that transpired and actually watched bitterness grow in the family because of that. And yet we... And the body of Christ don't even talk enough about this idea of what it does to the greater body. So James simply says, nobody talks about it, but we're going to go there. And he says, listen up. Verse 1, show no favoritism, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in the Lord Jesus. And he calls out what he's seeing. He's not giving a scenario. Let me paint a picture. He's saying, some of you are watching rich people walk in and what they are wearing and we treat them in a place by saying, hey, let me give you a seat. But if we see somebody wearing something that doesn't look so affluent, here's what you do. You either say, stand over there or sit at my feet. Could you imagine somebody in the body of Christ doing that? This was actually happening. Verse 4, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Favoritism immediately gives us faulty ideas with blind spots. Can we kind of illustrate favoritism this morning? Could my two helpers come on up? Just stand on either side of the pulpit. One of you stand here. One of you stand here. Whoa, whoa. Don't steal my signs here. Did I go there? Sorry. Go Blue. Now, if you would hear the sound of the room when these two stood up and you both fixated, because here's the reality. You looked at both of them, but how many of you, no hands in the air, your eyes fixated on one of them and just stared and smiled? Except for a few of you Ohio State people who need to come to Jesus this week. We look at this, and we look at these two individuals. These are two sisters. These are two sweethearts. I love these two so much. But it's amazing how putting them on stage, immediately emotions and thoughts go in one direction or the other. Look at the one, look at one, we're like, ugh. And we look at the other, we're like, hey. And we show immediate, like these responses, these emotional responses. And sometimes thoughts that go along with the symbols that they are wearing. We're not looking at the individuals, we're looking at what they are wearing. And it's amazing how, based off of our upbringing, based off of experiences, based off of something that we've been exposed to, that we see something simple as a symbol or a color, and immediately we go into some direction because of of what has gripped our heart. Can you give these two a big hand? and we see how the influences have come in and begin to change how we're looking, change how we're feeling. And this is what James is saying is that you are making expectations based on the economics that you perceive of those individuals. You're seeing something and you're putting them in the, to places of honor or places of dishonor based off your biases. Understand this. Jesus didn't have favorites. Yes, we know that Jesus utilized What I believe is a system of leadership, like with Peter, James, and John. There's times that he took some people deeper. There's teaching moments, there are moments that he needed people and situations more than others, but he didn't show favorites in the least bit. And in fact, when the religious tried to draw lines, Jesus drew different lines. You ought to hang out with with the with the religious, Jesus drew a different line. I'm gonna go sit with the sinner you got to sit with the righteous. Jesus sat, sat with the tax collector. You can only talk to Jews. He'd go talk to a Samaritan. And he would look at them and say, where's your line now? And we're so busy drawing lines around people rather than drawing bridges to get people to come to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, you have to take favoritism off. And in fact, think about this. The Apostle Peter Sometimes we know him as Simon Peter, but what we know of Peter. Peter traveled with Jesus. Peter seemed to be kind of the right-hand guy that, that, that Jesus would lean into. Many, of, many commentators think he was the oldest of the disciples and somebody that Jesus leaned upon for leadership. But we find in the book of Acts, Jesus is going to a Gentile's house. And the man's name is Cornelius. And he is struggling on whether or not he should go to this place, which begins to expose, like, should I go to this Gentile house? Because Jesus will... Jesus came for the Jews first, then the Gentiles. And so he has this inner dialogue and this inner struggle. Should I go to this house or should I just stick to the Jewish nation? And he goes into the house and he sees how the presence of God is working amongst the non-Jews. And he says these words in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter replied, I see clearly that God shows favoritism. I'm like, Peter, who did you travel with for three and a half years? When the Jewish people drew circles around people and said, stay away from these people, tax collectors are one. You went to Zacchaeus' house. What about when the Roman centurion came and needed his servant healed? Jesus didn't turn him away, Jesus healed the servant. What about the demon possessed Canaanite child? What about that person? What about the Samaritan woman? You saw Jesus trans. trans- transgress, so to speak, over these lines and go after people and say, I'm not going to pay favorites. I am here for the world. Here comes the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't play favorites. And for some of us, we get surprised like, like Simon Peter, like, we're watching people worship. We're like, wow, that person's really worshiping. Man, but they have tattoos and everything. Or look at that person worshiping. Well, that, they're of a generation. I didn't think they're a generation like Jesus. It's amazing how the biases that we look at when it comes to these individuals. Could, we, could you toss me those shirts? Awesome. I want to show you all something. I chose these shirts specifically because of the teams, but secondly, I chose these because of this. Most of you can't see this, and if you're online, there's no way you can see this. But they have the same manufacturer. Some of y'all have made judgment calls against individuals and they haven't haven't understood this, that every human being has the same manufacturer. They are made in the image of God. The proper term is they are Imago Dei. Made in the image of God. And yet we look at individuals and we make calls based upon what they wear, what they smell like, what they look like, what their skin color is like, what their economics seem to be. We make all of these calls based upon what we see. Understand this. Number one, favoritism changes what you see. It changes what you see. God spoke to Samuel. Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance. He's talking about David. Or the height of a stature. Obviously, he's talking about David. Because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Favoritism, it changes what we see. It gets us to stop seeing the symbols that they are wearing on the outside. And we begin to see them as the imago Dei, the image of God of who they are. What are we seeing today? I remember... Um, man, it was a few years back. I was preaching at, at just a local Christian school and having this conversation with the students about discipleship, having a conversation about things I mentioned. I'm from Detroit and afterwards a board member from the school walks up and apologizes apologize if I've told this story before. He walks up, he goes, you said you're from Detroit. Where are you from? And I said, well, I'm actually from Sterling Heights. It's Metro Detroit. He goes, actually, I'm from Sterling Heights. We found out through a little bit of a discourse that we actually played football against one another in high school. And I said, where did you live? He said, 19 in Canal. I said, I don't know exactly where that's at. He goes, where are you from? I said, 18 mile between Mound and Ryan Road. He goes, oh, oh. <laughs> I go, what's that? He goes, you're from where the bad people are from. I'm like, oh, that's my, that's my neighborhood. Yeah. He goes, you're from the trailer park? I said, absolutely. He goes, oh. I'm like, what, what is, oh. And why has the countenance changed just because you know where I'm from? But this is what we do in life. This is what we do in the church. We see possessions and not the person. We see behavior and not the fact that they could be our brother. We see the external and instead of looking at the internal body of Christ, if we're going to see together, if we're going to see unity, if we're going to see the church go forward, we have to change how we see. This is what James confronts them with. And then he goes to the next level. Because favoritism affects what we say. Verse 3. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions? Have you not made favoritisms? Hey, you look the way I want you to look. You come sit with me. You don't look the way that I think is appropriate. You go sit elsewhere. Man, the enemy does so much damage through our tongues. We're going to spend a Sunday on that. You know what I love about Jesus? I love the language Jesus uses. Some I'll do a study on the language Jesus uses. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to describing people who are not yet a part of the kingdom of God, do you know what Jesus' favorite and most common used word is? I will say this. It's probably not the most common word for use for people we don't like. We will use things like vile, or sinner, or debaucherous, or wicked, or immoral. Uh, We will use words to describe what we don't like. Jesus' most common and his favorite word is the word lost. You know what's powerful is when we use words because our words really dictate what type of actions we're going to take Is because if you look at somebody like, they're vile. They're a sinner. You know what we want to do? Is we want to actually get our distance. But when you see somebody and you see somebody as lost, you don't want to actually back away. You want to get closer because if somebody is lost, they need to be found. They need to be found. See how we see people shapes the division that we create. And when we see wrong, we say wrong. When we see things that are just not fitting things, we say things that are not fitting things. I remember years ago, I, I, I pulled up to a hospital, and I pull into clergy parking, and immediately this lady comes over, she goes, excuse me, and she points at the sign. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great spot. She goes, and I know, I know what I'm doing. She goes, um, should you be parking here? I said, yes, and I just started walking away, she goes, I don't think you understand. This is for clergy." I said, oh, I know. And I just kept walking. She goes, excuse me, son. Call me son. This is for clergy. I'm like, I know that. She says, then move your car. And finally I'm like, but I'm clergy. And she she does this, you're not clergy. And so I had to get out my phone. Who carries business cards? I had to get out my phone, go on the church website, and and then I show her. She goes, huh, well, you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, oh, thank you. I kind of go for that. I'm all good with that. Some of you are missing out on miracles because it came in a package that you did not expect or was not appealing to you. Some of us are missing out on miracles because we are seeing people in a certain light, and we speak things over them in a certain light, and we leave them for somebody else. You stand there, you sit here, you go there. I'm going to go over to my crowd, and we play favoritism. And God is not come for us to fracture our lives, but to come together in the power of unity. We've got to stop looking at denomination, skin color, economics, their look. We've got to stop missing out on miracles. Why? Because the enemy wants to use favoritism to shrink our world, because if it could shrink the world that we see, we shrink our effectiveness. But when the body of Christ comes together, When we bring backgrounds together, economics together, geography together, skin color together, your upbringing together, wherever you're coming from and you come together, we begin to open up the world around us and we begin to see that there is a harvest ready to be fulfilled, a harvest ready to pull in, and we will shrink it down with the eyes of favoritism, but through the eyes of Jesus we begin to open it up. Because the enemy knows if he can shrink our lives, he shrinks our effectiveness, but the enemy also knows the power of together. Because when we come together without favoritism and we pray, miracles happen. When we come together and we sing, and we celebrate, and we say, I thank God, all of a sudden freedom begins to break out. There's just something about the church body coming together in unity with one heart, one life, one set of eyes, and we see people the way Jesus sees people as Imago Dei. All of a sudden worlds are transformed, cities are turned around, revival breaks out if the church will simply come together. That's why we have to analyze what we're saying. Because what we see translates into what we say. And then lastly, favoritism affects what you do. Favoritism affects what we do. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you are convicted by the law of the transgressors. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Pastor Olivia, if you can come help me out, it'll help me shut up." James says, "Listen, if you want to destroy favoritism, then what you have to do is you have to love your neighbor as yourself. He's, he's really hinting at exactly what's written in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. We reject others based upon the look, their sound in the background. We begin to break it apart and we are sticking to judgment over mercy. If we're walking in judgment, listen, th- i got to do a whole teaching on this someday. There's a difference between judging right and wrong and then speaking judgment over people's lives. There's a difference. There's a massive difference. You can judge whether something is right or wrong. Speaking judgment is a whole different issue. And so we're looking at this, and he's like, if you want to destroy favoritism, love your neighbor." Do what you're supposed to do. See them as imago Dei, image of God. But you want to destroy the move of God, walk in judgment, reject people based upon their look, their style, their background, their whatever. We've got to start looking at people and recognizing they are my neighbor. I preached a message back in 2020, prior to the election, called My Brother's Keeper. It's one of my favorite messages I've ever preached in my life. And I love when people check in on me, and I've got a good, really good friend that will check in on me, just check out my, my emotional health, spiritual health's going on. And whenever I, he, whenever I text back, hey, thanks for checking in, he'll, he will always text back. It's because I'm my brother's keeper. Imagine if we looked at our neighbors, we looked at our loved ones, we looked at our coworkers, we looked at the people around us, the people in the same seats. Instead of rushing out, we actually met one another, and we begin to develop this neighborly understanding that simply says, you're more than the person who attends my church, but you are my family. And we begin to walk in mercy over people, and we begin to see mercy triumph over judgment. Well, oh, Pastor, you don't know how they vote. Just as much as you are Imago Day, President Biden is Imago Day, former President Trump is Imago Day. What about those independents? They're in Mago Day too. It's amazing how we f- try to fight for favoritism and to begin to pull our focus away and try to come up with reasons not to be loving toward people. What has happened to our culture where we look for more reasons to keep away from individuals rather than breaking through what James says destroy favoritism and go after people to love them? Love them as you love yourself. We love this way and we learn how Jesus loves us. How dare we show any different to the people around us? You want to see people wonder Christ. Man, stop just traveling in the herds that you travel in. Interact with people. Sit with, for coffee with somebody. Talk with an individual. Because you'll never know their story. And for some people, that you think that they're just angry. They, you, they, you think that they're hateful. You think they just show partiality. But the reality is, they're probably just a hurting individual that just needs somebody to show them the authentic love of Jesus, because you don't know where they've come from. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what their family of origin be is. But God knows that He has put you in their path to be imago Dei to them, so that they, through you. You perhaps could see that they are imago Dei to God. James is appealing to the church, stop segregating and splitting up the church based upon the judgments that we see. Instead, let mercy triumph over judgment. So what is James telling us to do? He's telling us to take the scenic route, not just through the book, but through our hearts. James like, take the scenic route through your heart begin to drive through and begin to see, wow, there's something in my heart that shouldn't be there. There's a a hatred in my heart that shouldn't be there. There's a bias in my heart that shouldn't be there. There's bitterness in my heart that shouldn't be there. There's hurt in my heart that I've held onto for so long that shouldn't be there. How many of you know that in our world that, that being hurt has gone more than just from a moment that's happened? It's become an identity that we live now. And I'm here to say, let me give a good word to somebody today. If you've come here today, maybe you've come to this church and you've been hurt by maybe the church or church leadership, you've been hurt by Christians. Number one, you're welcome in this room because you've got people who understand. Number two, you don't have to live in that bias where you're thinking that every pastor is going to hurt you, that every church is going to hurt you, that everybody, that the church is just here to take away from you. You've just seen the wrong image of what church is. And here at K-First, we are gonna walk with unbiased eyes as best as we can, even if people wear Michigan or Michigan State or Ohio State shirts in the house. And as silly of an illustration as that is, the reality is that is really what, something that God will bring all of us to task Do we see people as Imago Dei? Do we see them as image of God as much as everybody else? Or have we made other judgments based upon what we have perceived with our eyes? Because if we don't correct what we see, it comes out in what we speak. And what we speak out ends up coming out in what we do. And that now is our lives that we live. And my friends, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God, and he that loves not God knows not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let me pray for you this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict our hearts. Lord, seriously, convict us. Lord, we want to take the cynic route through our hearts today. In fact, we give, we just give you the openness to search our hearts, as the psalmist would say in Psalms 139, to search our hearts. And to show us, Lord, where biases have shifted us instead of toward people, sometimes it's shifted us away from people. To categorize individuals. To filter them in a certain way that gives ourselves permission to keep a distance and to keep away. think somebody else will go and Lord I think that we're just missing so many miracles because things aren't packaged and aren't as appealing to us as we think they ought to be but Lord I pray that you would remove the scales from our eyes that you would ignite our hearts full of love for people that instead of placing labels and seeing people how we want to label them God that we would just simply see exactly what we see in Scripture lost and found and if we're found Lord I pray that you would put an urgency in us to reach a world with a gospel that found us. Out of humility and grace and mercy, that instead of being known as the judgmental group, God, that we would be known by the mercy that we carry. Because Lord, we have received it greatly, God. How dare we hold it back from the people around us. So Holy Spirit, today we just come before you with repentant hearts, saying correct our biases correct what we see and I pray what would manifest with what we see would be the words that we would speak, the life that we would give, the encouragement that we would give, the challenge that we would give through our relationships and would produce lives that would be exactly what James said, that we would be doers of the Word. What we see, what we speak, what we do Let it magnify the one for whom we were made in His image. I speak that over one and all, and we speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, can we give God the glory this morning?